Recite the Pledge of Allegiance for us, so please stand. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Sure. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Welcome to our, our February 13th meeting. While the Planning Commission welcomes public involvement in free speech, it rejects comments from anyone that are discriminatory, defamatory, or otherwise not protected speech. Those comments will not inform nor be considered by the Planning Commission and may be cause for the chair to interrupt the speaker. Such comments will not be consented to or otherwise adopted by the Planning Commission in its discussions and findings for any matter tonight. Thank you. Can we have the roll call, please? Commissioner Adam is absent. Commissioner Pellman? Vice Chair Kennedy? Here. Chair Twining? Here. Commissioner Wood? Here. Commissioner Rodriguez is absent. Commissioner Acosta Galvan? Here. Okay, we have a quorum. All right, do we have anybody signed up tonight for public comments? Yes, we have two public comments. Okay. Um, please come down to the microphones and uh, Shirley Detloff and Connie Boardman. Good evening, Chairman Twining, Vice Chair Kennedy and Planning Commission members and staff. My name is Connie Boardman. I'm a former mayor and council member. Last Thursday afternoon, I noticed small signs starting to appear next to the no on ABC signs. These new small signs use the trademarked logo of the human rights campaign. The logo's very recognizable as a yellow equal sign on a blue background. The Human Rights Campaign is the largest civil rights group in the nation working towards full equal rights for those in the LGBTQ community. However, these signs make use of the logo as a dog whistle to people who don't support the gay community. I looked at the disclaimer at the bottom of the sign to see who paid for them, and the disclaimer revealed that Planning Commission Chair Twining, Vice Chair Kennedy, and another candidate for city council paid for the signs. The human rights campaign is very strict in how their trademark logo is used. To quote from their policy, quote, before any entity outside the HRC uses our logo, they must have our express permission. Outside explicit permission, no entity may use our logos. The HRC takes unauthorized use of our logos extremely seriously. I contacted a local board member of the HRC, and he said in the way you've used the logo on the sign, he can't imagine that you had permission. And the reason he can't imagine the HRC gave you permission is obvious when you see the signs. You've used the logo of the HRC as a dog whistle, dog whistle of intolerance towards the gay community. You've used it to signal that you're okay with intolerance and hate towards our neighbors, friends, and relatives who are members of the LGBTQ community. The way you're using the logo of one of the largest civil rights organizations in the nation has revealed to us your intolerance. Your signs started appearing last Thursday afternoon. Monday morning, a 20-year resident of Huntington Beach with a pride flag in their yard woke up to find anti-gay graffiti on their sidewalk and street in front of their home. Hate incidences, your signs, 
to hate crime. The First Amendment doesn't protect trademark infringement. Please remove your anti-gay dog whistle signs. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Shirley Detloff. I've been a resident of Huntington Beach since 1964. I was also mayor of the city and I served on the Planning Commission, which was a wonderful experience. I'm here tonight to let you know that I agree with the information Connie Boardman has presented to you. I have seen the signs and quite frankly did not know the message they were trying to communicate and these remarks have been the same questions I have received from others. However, looking into the signage more carefully and seeing three names of those paying for it, I was surprised and concerned. A planning commissioner is supposed to represent all of the citizens of the city and not take a political position. You should be nonpartisan, as should be the council. Another surprise was the logo, a human rights logo, and I was told that permission to use it may not have been given. All in all, these signs once again divide this community when it is time for people of differing points of view come together and make reasonable decisions, not ones that bring chaos and divisiveness to our city. As an appointed member of the commission, you should use discretion and integrity in all you do. Thank you for your time. Is there any other speakers? We have no other speakers signed up. Okay, then let's see. Does the staff have a report tonight? Yes, Chair. Uh, Joanna Cortez will give the presentation on our study session item. Thank you. Thank you and good evening, Chair and members of the uh, Planning Commission. Tonight's study session item is an introduction to an upcoming public hearing item for um, basically a, t a text amendment, an update, a general update for our um, zoning ordinance as well as a portion of our beach and quarter specific plan. So just a quick background, the last time the Huntington Beach uh, Zoning and Subdivision Ordinance or the ZSO was updated comprehensively uh, was back in 2019. And in, additionally, the Beach Edinger Quarter specific plan, the last text amendment was what very minor amendment was done last year and that was to allow medical on the ground floor. And the purpose of doing these types of updates is to really address common clarifications, issues that arise through the day to day um, operations, specifically our planning counter experiences a lot of questions from the public and so we try to take note of issues that arise, clarifications that need to happen in order to help our residents and property owners. Um, we also get um, clarifications and questions from our residents through other means such as our, our current uh, city council. They'll reach out to us and try to get clarification on certain items. And so we try to uh, accumulate these questions and try to find a way to update it continuously as we think it, uh, it's an effort to improve our customer service efforts here at the city and ensure its requirements are clear to all readers and that we're responsive to the needs of all residents and business owners and that we're addressing and are staying current with emerging technologies within the community. So a quick summary of today's request is we'll, we'll be amending or proposing to amend eight chapters of the ZSO and some of that will include updating definitions, deleting definitions that are repeated um, in the other parts of the ZSO or other codes such as our municipal code or building code, expanding on definitions for clarification purposes, um, adding a definition for neighborhood notification, 
in multiple chapters of our code in order to provide some clarification for land use um, development processes. Uh, removing outda outdated design standards in our residential district, codifying <clears throat> certain uh, ordinances or just policies that we've used for building separation and pro uh, projection standards, and clarifying allowable uses for some of our home occupation permits. We'll also be, we're proposing to update development standards for fences and walls, and updating parking standards to include space-efficient parking technology. <clears throat> And then the last part of this update is to amend section 2.5 of the Beach Edinger Quarter specific plan. And the purpose of this is to update standards related to street improvements. And this is to clarify allowable tree species in the right of way, delete in the in lieu fee process as well as waivers for regular uh, street frontages, and to create a process instead for those irregular sidewalk widths along the public frontages. And we can go I'll, in my slides later in this presentation, I'll go more in depth with it and I can, I'm happy to answer any questions. So the first chapter that, that's being amended is definitions. <clears throat> this is chapter 203 of the ZSO and you'll see that there's multiple definitions and you're more than welcome to follow along in the matrix that was provided as part of the staff report. And again, I'm happy to go back at the end to answer any questions or if we need to revisit something. Um, so multiple definitions have been amended and some of them are being deleted because the definition already exists, like I said, in other parts of the zoning code or other codes like the municipal code or the building code. And an example of that is exotic animal that's already in our municipal code and there's nowhere else in our code that it addresses, that addresses exotic animal. So we wanna delete it. Required window, that's more of a building code, and that's addressed there and there's nowhere else in our code that it's addressed. So we'd like to eliminate definitions that may potentially create confusion for our readers. We wanna make sure that it's clear and understood, you know, that this is an important definition that they'll need to rely on for other sections of the code. Um, we also are proposing to delete, um, to align with updates in the ZSO. For example, we're proposing to delete a section uh, for related to courts. So we're proposing to delete the courts definition. I can go more in depth with that in future slides. Antennas, you'll see multiple definitions related to antennas that are being proposed to be deleted. And the purpose for that is to basically consolidate those uh, definitions into one, sig one single definition. And then a lot of those definitions are already um, explained in other sections of the ZSO, specifically our wireless communication section. And then qualifying senior resident is another example of something that's being deleted. It looks like at one point this definition was part of another section of the zoning code. However, with updates as they occur, certain things don't get deleted accordingly. So this is an opportunity to kind of delete it because it's nowhere else in our zoning code. Um, expanded, so we are also proposing to expand or clarify certain um, definitions such as attached structures. We want to codify certain policies that staff has used and also direct the reader to other sections of the code so that there's more clarification. They can easily find that section of the code that that definition is applicable to. Same with bay windows, landscaping, they, we wanted to expand on it to provide more clarification for what is considered landscaping in order to ensure that people um, are able to comply with the code. Um, specific event, it looks like at some point the code, this is part of our municipal code, 
it was updated, the section that it's in was updated, but the section in our definitions was never updated. So this is an opportunity to just update the definition. <clears throat> the next chapter is chapter 210, which is residential districts or R districts. And here we're adding text to clarify what a neighborhood notification reference means in our land use controls ch uh, chapter. And you'll see in that section there are when the, there's a table that has all the listed uses in that particular zoning district, it'll state if it's permitted by right, if it's permitted by the planning commission, by the zoning administrator. And this is just to clarify, if it says neighborhood notification, there is a process for it. And we've added that to chapter 210. Um, we've also added that to chapters 211 to 218. Those are the only um, amended items in those uh, highlighted chapters right there. Also in chapter 210, we've expanded provisions regarding building separation. We've codified regulations specifically related to patio covers. It's, patio covers is something that we have to address on a daily basis at our counter. And the way our code is written right now, there really isn't a proper definition for patio covers, which you'll see is, is better defined now. And also when it comes to building separation, we wanted to codify existing policies that staff has used, you know, working in conjunction with building and fire, and to make it easier for whoever the reader is, the property owner, a, a, con a contractor, they're able to easily see what's permitted when it's related to patio covers. It's something that comes up quite often at our counter. So this is an opportunity to help clarify that process. We've removed courts provision, and this is a provision in our uh, residential district um, portion of our code. And it appears to be a, a, a provision that is very unutilized. I think it's been, in, it's been there for about 30 years. It appears to regulate a very specific architectural style. And I provided a graphic here to kind of illustrate what a court's design means. And the way the code is written, if you wanna take a look at that code section, it indicates that it is a requirement. However, we have other requirements that help guide development. We also have urban design guidelines that help define different, that help guide the way development can occur and not necessarily force this type of development on multifamily or whatever is listed in that particular section of the code. So this is kind of a graphic of a court's design as you can see, this is something you, we don't see too often. You would have to, it really limits the type of design that can occur there. And to be quite honest, I don't think it's really used because I don't think most people design, have designed these types of um, developments for uh, residential properties. And so it, it's a, the way it is currently written in our code, it's a little confusing for our readers, for our staff to explain. And we have determined that we have enough information in our code as well as our urban design guidelines to help regulate our code without the need of having courts. <clears throat> the next chapter is chapter 230, and this is for st site standards, and I'm gonna try to get into more specific sections of chapter 230. So the first section is section 230.08.E, as well as point G, and this relates to accessory structures within residential districts, specifically patio covers. And what we've changed here is to codify regulations specifically related to patio covers. 
and have it to have it consistent with other sections of the ZSO, specifically the sections we just talked about in our R districts. So we're just carrying those changes over to this section to make sure that they're both consistent. Section 230.12 relates to home occupation permits. The code allows for certain uh, businesses to be, to be um, occupied you know, through somebody's home and what we wanted, what we did here was clarify the permit process for residents, meaning expanding on the uses that may qualify for a permit, prohibiting the renting of a home for commercial purposes to ensure that it still maintains a residential uh, uh, design. It's still compatible with the area. So people that have offices, for example, they'll go through a business license and still be able to, this won't affect them. This is just to ensure that we don't commercialize our residential areas. Um, section 230.68 is building projections into yards. This is specifically for our minimum yards, um, like front yard setbacks, side yard setbacks, uh, rear yard setbacks. And what we've done here is we removed the court's language as we'll be we're proposing to remove it in the previous section that we talked about. Removes any duplicate language for covered patios, meaning a lot of the language has already been covered here in this first section, and so we'll just remove the duplicate language here as it's already addressed here. It codifies code interpretation for eaves specifically. The way the code reads right now, it almost appears as though eaves are not allowed to project. However, we have done a code interpretation and determined that eaves are allowed to project. Um, I think the intent was for allow them to project. However, the way the code is written, it's not very clear, and so we want to clarify that. Um, removes um, inconsistent, uh, any inconsistent language for uh, side yard setbacks, meaning it's already been, a, most of it's already been addressed here in our other sections. There's a lot of inconsistencies in terms of like side yard setbacks. It's already addressed somewhere else, basically. <clears throat> the next one is chapter 230. This is section 230.88, fencing and yards. And this particular section was, uh, is something that's come up quite often in our day-to-day -day operations. We've also have received input from residents through our current city council in terms of questions, am potential amendments, if we're proposing on amending it. And this also is something that impacts a lot of our code enforcement staff. And so, what we've done in section 230.88, fencing and yards, um, what we've done is remove the setback provision for walls and fences in the RMHA zone. So the RMHA zone are our skinnies or our 25 foot wide lots, mostly in the downtown, near the downtown area, like our numbered streets or um, like our state streets. And the, currently the way the code reads is if you have a, uh, you're proposing to do any type of wall or fence in your front yard setback, which are the first 12 feet, you need to be set back three feet. And then the other layer is if you wanna get a building permit, you don't need a building permit as long as it doesn't, your, whatever you're proposing to build doesn't exceed 42 inches. So what happens is people will call us and say, hey, I wanna do a fence, it's 42 inches or less. Can I build it, do I need a building permit? And we'll say, no, you don't need a building permit. And what ends up happening is 
they're not aware of that setback. It's not very clear the way it's currently written in our code, that they need to maintain a three-foot setback, which then creates a problem with code compliance. And then potentially may, people have already invested in this, and this is an opportunity to help address the situation and make it clear for, for our residents and our property owners where the correct setback is and what the allowable height is without having to find out after construction has already occurred or a code enforcement case is open. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The next portion is we've increased the heights of fences and walls up to a maximum of eight feet without a conditional use permit. That's a CUP, a conditional use permit. And what that is is that currently the way the code reads for our side yard and our rear yard setback is you're allowed to have a perimeter wall for protection. However, the maximum allowable height is, is six feet. And there are, the only exception that the code gives is you can do an eight foot high wall if you back up into an arterial, like a major street or some type of industrial commercial property. The code then allows you an exception. But other than that, it's a maximum of six feet. And the intent behind this is, you know, as different designs happen in homes, people want to do more backyard living, people have California homes, they want to maximize their, their backyards, but they also want to maintain some level of privacy. This would allow them to go up, a lot of people are taller than six feet, so they definitely want to go higher, and so this would allow them to go up to eight feet without the need of applying for a special or discretionary permit, which would be in, which currently the way the code is written, would require them to do a conditional use permit to the zoning administrator. What this would now allow them to do it by right, meaning they could come to the counter, apply for the permit, and they would go through the building permit process. It still would require engineering and whatever other building permit requirements are, but it would allow them at least that flexibility to make that decision without the need of going through a CUP process, which is about a two to three month process and a couple thousand dollars. And it's, you know, as most discretionary permits, it's never a guaranteed approval. And so we think that we've reviewed it with other staff members, with other departments, including building, and determined that this is something that can be done. Um, what we've also added, other language we've added to this particular section of the code is that it clarifies what's considered open lattice wall extensions. So you'll see around the city, if you drive around, that there are multiple like extensions. Some of them are solid, some of them are open lattice, like the picture you see here. And what this does, what we've done is clarify that, yes, you can do, if you have a six foot high wall, you're allowed to do a two foot lattice extension. Open lattice, meaning this design right here, at least 50% open, you'll see that, that's what we've, that's the language we've added to it. And you can do it without applying for a building permit and without having to notify your neighbors, that's something you can do, that's an easy fix for you to kind of have some level of additional privacy. Um, what we, but then with this other provision, this amended provision right here, somebody can go and do a solid extension. They would still need to go through building permit because it's no longer open lattice and may require some type of engineering for loads, for wind, but they can do it without having to go through a CUP. Then the final option right here is a solid block wall. If you want to just do a solid block wall up to eight feet, with, if this is approved, this would allow somebody to do that in their, along their sides and the rear of their property. 
Then the last portion of this section is we've eliminated a garden wall provision. There's an old provision that allows, it's a very particular design, what's called a garden wall. It's something that kind of creates confusion based on the way it's written. It's not something that anybody that we see utilized in our code and we're proposing to eliminate it. Deleted inconsistent language based on the new maximum heights that are being proposed. So any other language that states that it's a maximum of six feet or you need to go through this process if you're exceeding six feet, we were proposing to delete it with that other proposed language. Um, remove language that allowed higher heights in the front yards for specific types of development. If you look in the code or in the packet that was given to you, there is a section that states that certain, if you're proposing to build more than five homes, you're allowed to exceed the, allow, the maximum height for, within your front yard. What happens there, it creates confusion as there is no record for how that's being um, approved. It just creates confusion. Somebody, you sell your house to somebody else. Now that new person comes in to pull a permit it's unclear as why this particular wall no longer complies with code. And it's, we're trying to eliminate any, any language that might create future, um, just, just want to clarify the language for future permitting in the pro in just for the property owner. Um, and finally, we added language to clarify the maximum allowable wall and fence heights with retaining walls, meaning even though we're allowing, we're proposing to allow people to exceed the current maximum height of up to eight feet. We've added language to ensure that if there are, if you're adding, if you're doing proposing a new wall and you have to retain or have a retaining wall, you still can't exceed eight feet. So we're still not creating a situation where we're gonna go beyond eight feet. <clears throat> then the next section is chapter 231, off-street parking and loading provisions. Specifically, section 231.02.G, which is basic requirements for off-street parking and loading. This is a brand new section that's being added to include provisions for space-efficient parking, specifically mechanical stackers and lifts. Staff has received multiple inquiries for lifts, either for residential properties, for commercial properties, where they would like to propose lifts. However, we don't really have a mechanism or any type of real guidance to go through that process. And so we'd like, we're proposing to allow, potentially allow these types of uses for specific, uh, in specific situations. For example, it would only be, it's proposed to only be permitted in residential uses. So only for single family residences and it's only for surplus parking. Meaning you would have to still meet the minimum uh, requirement for off-street parking. So it could range from a two to three car garage plus a driveway. Now, there are a lot of people that have cars that they like to work on. They would like to maintain them somewhere without having them outside, just covered up. This is a mechanism to allow some of that uh, just surplus parking. Um, I believe they're along Gothard, a lot of the industrial uses that are used out there are for storage, and it's for storage for like classic vehicles. It's just, a, it's, that's kind of what they're being used for, and this is an alter, just a different option for uh, residences. And so, like I said, this is only limited to single family residences and only for surplus parking. It would not impact required parking. And then for commercial, it would be up to 20% of required parking and it would be subject to a conditional use permit to the zoning administrator. 
21% to 40% of required parking, and it would be subject to a conditional use permit to the Planning Commission. This is consistent with our valet requirements in our downtown specific plan in terms of the number of, of required parking that's a, what the, and the appropriate hearing body. We try to mirror what's already been established and been done in our downtown area. And in both scenarios, it would require an attendant for these types of, um, these types of uh, staggers. And then there, the, the previous slide right here kind of shows kind of what a residential mechanical lift may look like. In this case, it looks like it goes subterranean. I've seen others where they've gone up instead, and you'll see that in the next one where this is more of a commercial type of garage, and you can see where it goes up. Um, in terms of parking design, it has to be fully screened. It's being proposed to be fully screened and enclosed, similar to like a parking structure. No more than one vehicle may be stacked over another vehicle. So those are, there are height limitations. And it still would be subject, in addition to whatever hearing body, either the Planning Commission or the Zoning Administrator, would be subject to review by the Design Review Board. In terms of operations, at no point can, they be, can it queue into the public right-of-way. And there are requirements for a covenant for operation and an attendant at all times. And then another requirement is a backup generator with a manual override for any emergencies. The last um, chapter that's proposed to be amended for our ZSO is chapter 241. And it added language to clarify the required permit um, for a waiver of development standard. And what it is is that um, it's just indicating that a waiver of development standard requires an administrative permit or neighborhood notification, which is the it's, uh, it's director level. And it's just to clarify, because currently at the moment it's a little difficult to determine who is the appropriate hearing body or who approves these types of waivers of development standards. And so we've clarified it to indicate that it's an administrative permit, which is a director approval. And with all director approvals, if somebody would like to appeal it, it, would be, it can be appealed and it would be appealed to the Planning Commission. Then the final thing that was amended was the notification period. We, we modified it from 10 working days to 10 calendar, calendar days to be consistent with other sections of the code, including our appeal dates. It's 10 um, calendar days, not 10 working days. Then the final section that's uh, proposed to be amended is our Beach Under Quarter Specific Plan, Section 2.5, which is our street improvements. So street improvements, just generally speaking, are required in most major improvements or developments citywide. And that can require new sidewalks, new curbs, new landscaping, dedication. It all just depends on the existing conditions and what is required um, for that particular zone. In the case of the, specific, the Beach Under Quarter Specific Plan, dedications um, that may like go into the street are a little different in that the Beach Boulevard is owned by Caltrans by the state. And so in 20, about 2020, there was a new process that began, I guess, with Caltrans for reviewing any type of street improvements, and it created a major delay for a lot of our businesses along Beach Boulevard, where it basically could take up to 18 to 24 months and really hold up their building permit. And so for the sake of financing for other issues to just open their business, these particular businesses were being impacted because 
the city didn't have any control over those, um, any type of improvement that was actually on Beach Boulevard owned by Caltrans. And so we were trying, we're, staff got together to try to find a solution to these issues. <clears throat> so street improvements are on city-owned right-of-way is what's being proposed. So basically, we are requiring the portions of the right-of-way, like sidewalks, landscaping, areas that we generally consider public right-of-way. Anything that the city owns, those are, what are what's proposed to be improved. However, one of the issues that we encountered is that many of the existing sidewalk widths and right-of-way areas do not comply with our specific plan with the way it's currently written. Some of them are narrower, some of them are wider, and in an effort to retain our control over the areas that are being improved, we've added language to expand requirements to allow for alternative design for some of our narrower rights of way so that it doesn't hold up these businesses, a lot of our improvements along Beach Boulevard, and just really retaining our control over those improved areas. And so other language that's being added is eliminating um, street improvement waiver language and, add, and eliminating in lieu fee language. And in, in turn, what we've added is an alternative process for those. So instead of having waivers and having them just pay in lieu fees, we've created a new process in order to still get improvements. You know, the city will still benefit and still get improvements, but it will and it'll be done in a different way. Um, we've also added language to clarify the timing of when certain street improvements need to be done. And finally, added language to expand the allowable tree species in the right-of-way. It's a very specific tree species that is, I believe is not, I guess, permitted by Caltrans anymore. So we've expanded it. So just don't avoid any hiccups or holdups along the way. And I've added this graphic right here. This right here is our McKenna. Uh, dealership along Beach Boulevard. This is Subaru, and Subaru is one of our businesses that was impacted by this, I guess, most re recently. And I have Public Works here, and they can elaborate a little bit more on this. But we found an alternative, trying to use a language that we do have. It's not very clear, and that's the purpose of this ZTA, is to really clarify and that language to make it real tight for our developers, for staff. But we found a way to create something that, an alternative to what the specific plan asks, or requires and still have something that is consistent with what's out there so you wouldn't see the difference and we want to like I said tighten up that language to help avoid these kind of hiccups in the future so this concludes staff's presentation I'm happy to revisit something else or answer any questions thank you thank you in case you couldn't hear me um, I guess at this point in time, is there any questions from the commissioners? Yes. Commissioner Kennedy. Thank you. So is the objective tonight, thank you for that initial presentation, is the objective tonight, now are we going to walk through the uh, legislative draft and, and look at them? You know, I saw each page, there's some pages, no change, some bold printed. Uh, so we have full context, number one. And secondly, why are we just uh, concentrating on Beach Edinger quarter specific? There's 19 specific plans. So the presentation that Joanna just provided gave, essentially walked through the entire uh, zoning text amendment. Um, each, of, each of the slides represented essentially the legislative drafts that are um, in front of the planning commission and that 
we'll be asking you to take action on it the next meeting. Um, the Beach Edinger specific plan cleanup is what is specific to the one issue that essentially happened with Subaru. They got caught up in a year-long sort of uh, pickle between what the city requirements were and what Caltrans was willing to approve. Ultimately, and, and this was to get their final CFO, which they needed for their own construction um, business operate, construction financing and business operations. We did give them a, a TCFO as they worked through the Caltrans process, and we were able to eventually help them out. But um, the reason why we're bringing this forward is because we know that there's going to be other projects coming through Beach Edinger that are going to run into the same requirement where the um, public improvements call for additional right-of-way that we know that Caltrans just won't approve. So what this does is clean it up and says, if it's a certain width, then the existing right-of-way will be fine. And that's really the reason why we're bringing it up. We're not going through every specific plan. We're not even really proposing a comprehensive uh, update of the Beach Edinger specific plan. It's a very um, small, I would say, cleanup, but important because it will affect future businesses just like it did with Subaru. We just don't want people to go through that. Completely understood. But what would be helpful for me, just like you guys did a great job, initially you wanted us to approve 140 uh, zone changes in one fell vote, uh, uh, vote. You came back with a great detailed, segmented uh, opportunity to see breakouts and things like that. So, for example, can, can you give me the details on what Subaru encountered? The reason I ask is, rather than saying yes or no to any change, as you've already said, there's, there's things that you see coming down range that are going to uh, encounter these nuances or these potential difficulties. So if you could share with us, obviously there's, you've made some reference points, what is coming down range so that we have some context to the importance of that change? Well, it would affect potentially any new commercial development that, that is submitted on Beach Boulevard. We don't know what's coming up in the future, but properties turn over all the time, um, and potentially there'll be somebody that comes in with a big enough project that triggers public improvement requirements, um, and they'll be in this same situation where they can't comply with the zoning code, um, which in this case is the specific plan. They can't comply with the city's requirements, but Caltrans won't let them comply, and we just don't, we don't want to force that situation. But to answer your question, I don't know um, what future projects it might affect. But for sure, Beach Boulevard is going to see continued improvements like it does. With that said, since there hasn't been any changes yet and there has been development in other parts of Beach Boulevard, have every one of those encountered these problems? And there's had been there's been mitigation. In no, no. So this just started happening up until probably COVID. Um, we were able to the projects that went through like Hogue, uh, Hogue Health Center, Sonic Burger. Uh, the process at Caltrans has has changed, and it changed right around COVID ish. And during that time was when Subaru went up. They couldn't get through, so then the city facilitated some meetings with Caltrans, and the bottom line was Caltrans wasn't taking additional right-of-way. Um, they said that there was some um, protracted process, and tell me if I'm getting this right, protracted process 
um, that somebody would have to go through to request it, and at the end, they were not likely to approve it. And in the meantime, Subaru was contacting the city because they wanted their, their final certificate of occupancy. Um, and the city felt like it was, it's important to make sure that that happened. Um, and then, so we worked with them, but as part of that, we recognized that if we don't make this cleanup, it's gonna happen with every future business or development that comes forward um, that requires public improvements. So my point would be, they weren't problems till Caltrans changed their methodology COVID era. What's gonna prevent these new changes to be in place? Are we just chasing Caltrans now? They make another change, we, we make another change, is it just gonna go like that? No, so what Caltrans has said is they're not accepting new right-of-way, so what the requirements now do is provide that um, if you have 10 feet, 10 feet or less, then they don't have to do the additional right of uh, public improvements. So you don't have to add additional right away that we know Caltrans won't accept. I might just want to <clears throat> throw in it. It sounds to me like you're doing future developers a favor by telling them don't ask for that and um, build off the don't ask for more right away because you're never going to get it approved. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what we don't want to have is city requirements that nobody can comply with because Caltrans, like you said, they won't accept it. Great. Um, I'll just talk while I have this on. Um, it sounds to me, as, as we went through the present, or you went through the presentation today, and I thought it was very good, it sounded almost like it was, they were answers to frequently asked questions that confuse builders and developers and residents all the time, and you kind of compiled a list over the last few years, and you're you're answering them more. You're you're, you're changing the, the, the these these zoning rules to be more clear. Would that be right? It's just kind of a a, a, a compilation of frequently asked questions. That's correct. Yeah, we a lot of the questions come from our counter, which is wherever the day-to-day -day operations mostly occur. But it can vary. Like I said before, we've also get. Um, questions that come down from other departments, from our current city council, concerns from the residents, like, I don't understand what this means, can somebody help me? And we wanna, you know, part of our customer service and improving our code is to help make it as clear as possible for the reader and for the builder, for the resident. If you wanna make changes, we wanna make it as clear as possible. And if there are, if we're getting this constant question, it means that something probably needs to be updated. It could also mean that things have changed uh, designs have changed. And so it's just our job, you know, to give a, uh, to provide that customer services to update that code to really benefit the residents here. Chair Twining, I'll give you an example. I worked, because I worked the counter for 10 years. Our code says, uh, our code says that patio covers for residential require a five foot setback. And almost every single time, whenever somebody submitted, they would say, is that to the post or the eve? and the code doesn't say. And over the years, probably over longer than I've been working here, people have different interpretations of what that means. And so here's our attempt to say, it's five feet to the post and whatever it is to the eve. And then it's in there and everybody knows and the question doesn't get asked or people don't 
um, draw, go to the expense of drawing up a plan, having um, a site plan, and we come and we're like, oh, you have the wrong setback because they misinterpreted the code. So this is one of those examples. Thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Pellman, please. Thank you. Um, I have like about four or five questions, okay? You can hear me okay? Yeah, okay. Um, first uh, question I have is, can you give me uh, a definition of what home, a home occupation permit is? How would it look? So a home occupation permit typically is, some, is a business that, let's say you do online sales and okay. you have your computer, it's just you and your computer and you are doing online sales. Nobody's coming to your house. Nobody's coming to visit. You don't have customers. It is purely just you and your business. And okay. so that's your typical um, home occupation permit. There are certain exceptions in that same section of the code that allow for what's called a service or um, some type of education or training. So it allows for swimming lessons. We've a, we, but there's a certain process that also goes in conjunction to our home occupation permit, which is something is a business license, basically. If it's just you in your house, no visitors, it's a business license. However, if you want to do swimming lessons, you want to do piano lessons, and you're, you, will, you plan on having somebody come to your house for those lessons, the code states, on top of your business license, you'll still, prior to obtaining that, you'll need to do what's called an administrative permit, which is a director level approval for our staff to review what you're proposing to do and ensure that we're, we're not commercializing that particular property. So that's, an, that's a, it's very, it's rarer, but typically what you'll see is like an office use. Okay, so, so it doesn't, um I, I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't like a constant stream of people and stuff like that. You, no. you monitor for that or somehow. Correct, and okay. part of the requirement is there are certain conditions that need to be maintained if you plan on having an own home occupation business. One of them is not having customers come to your house. Okay, thank you. Next question. Um, your landscaping uh, wording, does that also include like parks and um, you know, like the baseball, so the landscaping would only apply to private, primarily to private property, and the purpose of it is to ensure that minimum landscaping requirements for like uh, a home are being maintained. And what people you'll see people propose drought tolerant plants, mm -hmm. other alternative types of planting, and we want to ensure that we're still getting some type of live vegetation, but still providing additional options. And so it's primarily for private property. Do you, um, in that language, do you restrict um, the plastic? grass? I believe there is language there that um, it allows for alternative landscaping, but I believe it needs to be primarily live vegetation. Because the, the, my understanding mm -hmm. is that the plastic grasses create a microplastic uh, toxic soil situation that is not cleanable and it takes, I guess, hundreds of years to um, detoxify, I guess, would be the word. Mm -hmm. So I'm just asking, you said yes, that is included? It does allow for artificial um, turf. Yikes. Okay. Um, hmm. Next question mm -hmm. on uh, antennas. How, it, it looks like you're looking at um, 
Does that include commercial antennas? Uh, the antenna section, yes. It does, okay. So with the 5G and all that stuff, I mean, I'm just hearing this from people when we had the other situation come before the Planning Commission. There were all sorts of people that said, do you have restrictions for 5G near residential homes and all of that stuff? Um, is there something like that? So this, for the purposes of this code amendment, what's been done here is consolidated the definition of antennas. All the antennas that are, definitions that are deleted have all been consolidated into the general antenna. However, there is a section in our code that addresses like wireless communication facilities, like the one that was reviewed here a couple months ago. And they are, uh, there is language there that they need to meet whatever the federal guideline is for antennas, I believe. I, I don't think that the 5G has been tested, uh, you know, federally yet. So, and I think from what I hear from, you know, people out in the community that were very upset about, you know, that whole thing, they, they didn't want it near their home because of all the concerns that are, you know, raised with that. So, okay. Uh, the next thing is um, patio covers. Um, does that include, um, detached patio covers? Yes, it does. Okay, so if you, and is there restrictions about how close it can be to a wall? Yes, so when it, there's um, in chapter 210, as well as chapter 230, there, the same language has been carried over in both chapters to address the minimum building separation requirements as for detached patio covers. So, the definition of a patio cover, um, is it also for structures that, um, that go above the height of a wall? Uh, for patio cover, so there is a definition for patio cover. Basically, it's a structure that's open on both sides, like an accessory right. structure. Um, in terms of height, there are, high, there are height limitations for accessory structures like a patio cover in Chapter 230. We, haven't addressed, we didn't modify them with this amendment, but the language is there. Is there, is there a concern with height? Yeah, because um, I, I, you know, out and about, and I hear people say, you know, we don't like the way that looks over the fence, and I said, oh, hmm, you know. Right. So I'm just clarifying that, that portion. There is a limitation for detached patio covers in terms of height. I believe it's uh, 15 feet in height. Okay. is the, is the um, allowable maximum height for a detached patio cover. Okay. Um, and then um, I think that does it for me. And thank you very much for the, the clarifications. Thank you. Commissioner Kennedy. Is this, again, a one vote for everything, all or nothing package on the vote? I think you can, that's up to the Planning Commission. So Planning Commission can take it as one vote. You can take it by chapter. You can take straw votes on if there's topics that there's some um, difference of opinion on. That'll be up to the Planning Commission at the time of the public hearing and up to the chair. Yeah. The reason I ask is a lot of the stuff is common sense. It is FAQ, like, like Chairman Twining said. But the stuff that's going to be relative, for example, to Beach Boulevard, I, I would like to see 
anything, the language that really is tied to anything that would have a, uh, an effect pro or con on Beach Boulevard where there is a lot of development. I'd like to be able to identify those because to me that's a, a bigger topic than, hey, how's your patio cover? Um, not that I'm discounting the patio cover. So I would be recommending to the chairman over here that we, we have the ability to break out that so for consideration. Uh, the other thing about the the home occupation, how are you in this day and age of remote work, how are you going to differentiate between the guy that's working three days a week in the office and three days a week, you know, at home on his computer? Give that a little bit of thought. But um, and um, let's see. Um, and what about, for example, back to the patio covers, something that is now going to maybe be deemed non-conforming or some of the walls along the city that already have uh, the lattice up, or maybe not the lattice, but something that uh, potentially was put up by a homeowner uh, pre the ability to do so. Um, are, are they going to be triggered to pay a fine, remove it, a permit fee? I don't think that this uh, zoning text amendment would create any non-conforming situations because it's adding another, uh, it's not reducing anything that's currently allowed, it's adding another thing that is allowed. So anybody that has something that's that's currently allowed under the code, it'll still be permitted per the code and not considered non-conforming. Okay. All right, any thoughts on that uh, remote working dynamic? I mean, typically when people are applying for a home occupation permit, they are coming in person to come, they're seeking the home occupation permit Typically, they'll need it for their business license. They need to obtain a business license. And so in order for them to get a business license for like a business account for that business, they need a business license from the city. And so they are the ones that come pursuing a home occupation permit um, in turn, like the actual business license. Is, that a, is this a new permit in addition to the business license, the home occupation permit? No, it's not. Okay. All right. Thank you. Commissioner Pellman. Thank you. Um, going back to the home occupation, um, do you, when you, I know that you do it for some businesses, like electrician comes and they're going to be doing certain types of work, they require a CUP. Do you also do that, getting back to the, um, like, number one, they have to have a business license. Number two, you check with the state to make sure that they have insurance. Do you do the same thing for, like, swimming lessons in a, I'm just curious, things like that. So for like swimming lessons in this case, we planning would look at it from a land use perspective, meaning we would look at the use, see how they're operating, ensuring that they're a resident here, they live at that property, okay. and we'll ask them for like a narrative, a breakdown of how their business operates, and we'll review it to ensure compatibility with the area. We don't want to create any impacts in terms of lessons, drop-offs, uh, any potential traffic impacts. That's what we'll review it for. Okay. Once they've obtained an approval by the planning staff or, or by the director, from that point they can then pursue the business license. And whatever regulations business license has, it might different, it might get updated on a yearly basis, then they would have to comply with those. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Chairman Twining, would I make a motion now so we have time to see if I can get a second and take a vote on uh, breaking out 
the uh, the changes that would have a direct effect on the Beach Boulevard development, or is that something that we do in the next meeting? I, 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 I actually got an idea for that. Maybe tonight, because there's not going to be any, not supposed to be any votes tonight, the way I understand it. But I understand. I happen to have spent about two hours yesterday uh, with staff, and so I have a little better understanding of the the, the beach ends or corridor specific plan and and what this is all about. And so what I was going to suggest is maybe staff. Uh, could sit with uh, uh, Vice Chairman Kennedy, and I would like to attend again. Then anybody else on the on the commission is welcome to uh, have a deeper conversation, like we did yesterday, about it, and and get a better understanding. And then we don't make, we don't have to pull it out if we still don't like it after you know meeting with the staff. Um, then we'll 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 take it up then. Sure, I mean, we uh, that's a good idea. We can offer briefings to all the planning commissioners on this zoning text amendment. If you want to come in and uh, get additional information on the zoning text amendment, we'll still be bringing it forward to the next meeting for a public hearing, and then, you know, the planning commission can deliberate and take action on as they see fit. Is that acceptable to you, to you uh, Vice Chairman? I mean, it sounds like a good idea conceptually, but... The role of the Planning Commission is, yes, to make decisions on behalf of the city, but, but I think with everything that's going on in the city and the, just the hypersensitivity to future development, specifically on major arterial roads like Beach Boulevard, I just think it'd be better to be discussed in the open for the people that do watch these as opposed to us learning about it and then making a decision. I, I think the residents deserve to have a little bit of an airing, especially when it comes to Beach Boulevard. There's a lot of big development planned, uh, as we all know, and I think the city and the residents want to know what this would be doing. I've already had people say, what do you think it's going to do? And I, I said, well, let's see what they talk about tonight. So I really think the residents deserve to have that transparency uh, as it pertains to Beach Boulevard. There's a lot planned. There's a lot going on. And I think they need to know what, maybe these affect nothing, maybe they do affect things, but I think the residents deserve that transparency, that's my opinion. Well, okay, might, might I um, give some, maybe some advice, maybe so that we're in compliance with the public hearing, maybe we could task the chair, Chair Twining, to basically direct staff after, you know, after he's done, um, you know, with feedback and whatever. Um, staff to maybe split it out so that um, you know split out the votes or you know the action items. Okay, I was I was just going to say as uh, Vice Chairman Kennedy was saying, and I and I totally agree with him is, you know it, the public needs to have you know be able to have input on that, but that's what we're going to do at the at the February twenty seventh meeting. It's going to be an open. It's going to be open, and they're going to be able to give their their opinions of it at the time. And I think you know we have two weeks, and we're going to be way more educated on it uh, in two weeks. And so, in the presentation that is going to be similar to what was was given tonight, um, it will the, the public will have a chance to to comment on it. And thank you for that, Chairman. My only thought is at that point, we've heard from our experts in the building department. The, the public would not have heard their side of it. They're gonna see our actions based on how we absorbed that information and now have made a decision without hearing the, the, 
presentation from staff, which nobody's going to be able to present that side of the question better than the qualified staff. We're only here to digest it and then make a decision. I think the public would like to uh, hear it as well. The reason I don't want to necessarily do it that day is because, well, if we can break it out, if we can break it out, talk about it pre-meeting uh, with staff, and then have staff be prepared to basically restate what we've gone through. That way when we vote, if it has any ramifications for or against the future development on Beach Boulevard, the city can have heard it firsthand from our building department. We take an action based on how we digested it and there's transparency. So at the February 27th meeting, we can have this same presentation, correct? And, and you can see what the, the hot buttons are, especially with, the, with the, the, the people sitting up here. So you know that we can talk a little bit about the wall heights and the open lattice and the solid lattice and the patio covers and all that. But I'd hit hard on the beach manager corridor specific plan, the Caltrans right-of-ways and what the city is doing that I believe, and I, and I, I just said this to, um, to Jennifer, it sounds to me like you're, you're doing future developers a favor by saying, you know, don't infringe upon this right away because you're never ever gonna get it approved by Caltrans. Is that somewhat accurate? Yes, and I think um, Chair Twining, just so you, so you know, yes, we can give the same presentation. In, a, in addition, the, the presentation will actually be bigger at the next public hearing because it'll also include the required findings for the Planning Commission to take action on these and make recommendations to the City Council on these zoning text amendments. In addition to that, the staff report that goes out the week before will have analysis similar to how the essentially the context of the zoning text amendment included in the staff report for the public to review as well. I would guess if, if when our agenda is, is released the week before our, our meeting and those in the public see that we're going to be discussing public right-of-ways along the beach Edinger's corridor specific plan, it might bring more people in too to, 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 to listen to it and learn about it. So I think that's a good idea to, to have a good presentation. Dedicated to that aspect. This presentation did not touch on any of it other than just general language. Nobody would walk away with this knowing anything about um, how it's going to affect, you know, how Caltrans was able to make a decision. Now that's affecting future developments, whereas it wasn't pre COVID. To me, that just seems uh, hard to digest. That uh, so. Not to uh, go against what Chair uh, Twining is saying, but I don't think we need to present this in, in a way that we're doing a developer a favor. We need to present it in, in what the developers can expect. Um, and, and I know you didn't mean it that way, or maybe you did, but um, I mean, what they can expect, not that we're acquiescing to developers. I, I wanna make sure that whatever we're doing is is not to just acquiesce to what we need to do to make it easy. We have to do it because we have to do it the right way, not because we're chasing Caltrans tail or we're gonna bend over to acquiesce to developers like, hey, we're gonna do this for you so you can do this. That's why I wanna know what the, uh, the ramifications would be when we yes or no. 
that's my point. And I don't, just from a legal standpoint, I want to jump in. I don't think we're doing anyone in particular a favor. The point of the municipal code is to be published and to just inform everybody of what they can expect requirements. In an ideal world, you wouldn't need lawyers like me. Um, so it should just be readable to anyone, whether developer or resident, and easily understandable. And we also, from a liability standpoint, don't want to lead people on with an unenforceable or something they can't actually do. If we have someone go through an entire process on our side and lead them to believe, well, once you get this approved, it'll be no problem with Caltrans, that is an issue on our side as well. Mm -hmm. We don't want a developer or resident or anyone investing lots and lots of money into something that they can't ultimately do. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um, right. Like, oh. The point is, Connor, we are cleaning up a municipal code that is <laughs> not understandable. That's why we're doing this. So as much as that's the altruistic view of what a municipal, <laughs> municipal code should be, it's not. So that doesn't mean it, it, it is what it is. It's not. So that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah. Commissioner Adams. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm a, I don't, I'm a simple, simpler. Is it, is it just the fact that the city of Huntington Beach has a requirement and Caltrans has a requirement and those requirements conflict with each other? Is that what this is about um, in a general sense? If I, uh, as a member of Public Works, has the, uh, uh, I started as a senior engineer as well where we were just implementing this and we were developing the, the concept. Um, I was very closely involved with about three or four projects that they did except Hogue, um, um, Beach Walk across the street from Hogue, uh, Elon was one. It was an uphill battle from the beginning implementation of the specific plan with Caltrans from the street trees that were specified in the specific plan that they would not accept because they were not breakaway and cause accidents. We're forced to use pygmy palms now, they're like the three um, real, you know, just nothing like the, what the specific plan envisioned. Um, to the streetlights where we had these fancy, um, you know, um, designs that were just not implementable um, as far as technical, you know, again, a breakaway is a big part of um, uh, Caltrans design for highway. You have to have something that will not, you know, cause death to somebody that breaks into it, that, that, that uh, hits it. Uh, to uh, the parkway uh, requirements. The parkway requirements were uh, where we had to implement a wider, um, you know, more um, uh, pedestrian-friendly uh, design. And by parkway, I mean the space between the curb and the back of the sidewalk. Uh, we had to beg them for the right-of-way um, for the three projects, four projects that worked, and they did it, but then, uh, um, Danny McKenna uh, got stuck in the process where they just decided to change the process. And as Caltrans, we had many meetings with their director at very high level with Mr. Crumby and, and you know, other higher, you know, with even um, uh, the planning director at that time, and they just would not budge. So they basically, as uh, Jennifer mentioned, is they've uh, offered a 18 to, or 18 to 24 month process that is not guaranteed. Um, so that was basically the last straw. Um, even uh, McKenna pulled back. They went through a process where they actually built, built frontage improvements that were pulled back five feet. They lost five feet of their project in anticipation of that dedication that never happened. So if you drive along there, mm -hmm. right now you'll see a strip of landscaping that, that never got dedicated, that just they lost that land. So that was kind of the last straw for, 
for us kind of asking developers. We we're always pushing, oh yeah, they're, they're gonna accept it, just work with them, it's a matter of time. But then McKenna happened and, and, um, and we do have several other projects rather than that are in, um, in the queue. We have uh, uh, the GNM oil in the northeast corner of Beach of New York Town has a small short dedication, two foot dedication that they're gonna be working on that project soon. Jamboree Housing on um, Beach Boulevard also has a two foot dedication that they're you know, ultimately gonna be asking us to either figure out whether it, um, you know, we're gonna waive it like we did for McKenna or we're gonna um, change our code and just you know, uh, change the requirement entirely. So we do have other projects that are kind of you know, in the queue that are in, in need of a decision for that. But I do suggest that anybody suggest that talking to Mr. McKenna as well and see what he went through with, with Caltrans. It, it was pretty, uh, it was, Caltrans just literally did not talk to each other. I mean, we had departments that we would talk to them one minute and, you know, and later on they, they would either pretend like they, they had not talked to you because they were changing rules by, you know, on the fly, but they at some point decided they would not take more um, dedications, basically. And, well, and thank you for that answer. But they did change it once, and they could change it again. Sorry. Got it. But I, I do support, I mean, I certainly support more examples and more clarification. I think that's definitely worthy. But I, I do think we have a responsibility, though, whatever we decide, that we, we try to clean up direct conflicts that leave people in limbo. And I don't think that's pro-development. I think that's just, just common sense. Practicality. In general, in right. general statement, but I think we need a little bit more education on it, and I think that's worthy of the time. Yeah, I, th I think I do want to point out, point out um, Commissioner Adam, what you said is that public, uh, the right-of-way improvements are generally going to happen um, after a project gets approved. That's when those designs um, and plans start getting implemented. So Correct. to your point, it's, it doesn't, it's not a catalyst for development. No, it post, doesn't, it's post-approval. It's po it's post right. So it doesn't, um, uh, it's not going to help development or uh, be a catalyst to development. It's really something where we had to figure out on the back end. So as Bob mentioned, um, Nobody has to go through what McKenna went through, which was a year-long limbo. Yeah, we're, I'm in a 15-year Caltrans battle. And they've changed their mind nine times, and we still are in limbo. So it's very frustrating. But if you're listening, I love some of you, but not all of you. Thank you. <laughs> they have a lot of people to keep busy up there in Sacramento. Is there any other questions by commissioners? Well. Yeah, so you know, Butch, sorry, Chairman, um, I apologize, but there's, you know, there's a lot going on. So we pick Beach Edinger quarter specific plan. We do or don't make some changes. I would imagine this is being chosen first because it is the main corridor into our city. Do these changes, these zoning changes, replicate themselves on Golden West and other specific plans, or are these gonna be specific to the specific plan? It's just specific to the Beach Edinger um, specific plan, and, and in particular, Beach Boulevard um, public uh, right-of-way improvements because that's a Caltrans highway. Is Pacific Coast Highway Caltrans highway? 
Yes, but Pacific Coast Highway is not in the Beach and Edinger corridor specific plan, and we haven't run into this issue. We don't have city requirements that conflict with um, Caltrans right away in our zoning documents for Pacific Coast Highway. Okay, but you didn't have these new ones until just recently with, with Beach Boulevard either. What other roads in, in Huntington Beach are, uh, if any, does Caltrans own? It's just Pacific Coast Highway and Beach Boulevard. Okay. Okay. Is that it? Anybody else? Oh, okay. You're good? Okay. Your name came up and then it went away. Well, if there is no more questions, uh, I think we'll just adjourn this meeting tonight. And uh, thank everybody for coming. And we'll see you in two weeks. We will talk to you. I'll, I'll talk to Don, and maybe we can come up and, and, and learn a little bit more about this and so we're, we're better educated. Oh, somebody has something to say. Chair, I just wanted to report um, that at the upcoming Planning Commission, besides the study session item uh, tonight going to hearing, on the 27th, we also have the next phase of the zoning map amendment cleanup. That's all I wanted to mention. Mr. Ramos, is that, will there be another study session in two weeks, pre-meeting, or I guess? Uh, we don't have any study sessions planned for the next meeting. Okay, thank you. If anybody. So with, with, with that said, are we, I, I wanna know what to be prepared for the next meeting. Are we going to break out the things that are s relative specifically to Beach Boulevard? That'll be up to the Planning Commission at the time of the public hearing. So if he says yes, will you be prepared to do that? Yeah, it would just be separate actions that the Planning Commission takes at the time that you guys are making motions and taking actions. Okay, and you would need any prepared documentation or any, any visuals? I don't want to catch you off guard. No, no it'll okay. all be the same material and packet. All right, fair enough. Do a straw vote tonight if you wanted. It, this isn't a no no we can't we said this is a no vote meeting okay for the third time with that with no more questions and uh, no more uh, actions for tonight uh, this meeting is adjourned <laughs> <laughs>